In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Lord God, we pray that um, you would open our hearts and our eyes to see the heavenly things that Jesus spoke about in this passage. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son. It's because of that that we gather in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's because of him and the work of the Spirit that we know you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we pray that we would have eyes to see you as you are and ears to hear what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Memorial Day weekend, and I guess welcome to summer. Uh, It's come in an aggressive way for us. Um, And maybe you're like, I don't want to be in Dallas for the summer already because today is so, so hot. Uh, But today is what we call Trinity Sunday. It's a day where we take a step back um, to think about where we've already been in the church calendar. If you think about last week, we talked about Pentecost, and before Pentecost, we talked about Easter, and leading all the way back to the season of Advent, where we're anticipating the coming of the Lord. And Trinity Sunday is a, a chance to step back and kind of ask the question, well, what does all that mean? looking at the way that God has acted in history, looking at the way that he sent his son into the world, looking at who his son is. Before Pentecost, we talked about ascension and Jesus after his death, burial and resurrection, being raised to the right hand of the Father. And last week, talking about Pentecost, where Jesus is given the Holy Spirit as the coronation gift of his ascension, because his ascension is his kingly ascension. And God the Father gives his son, the son of man who sits at his right hand, who has authority over all things as a coronation gift, his spirit who's poured out upon us and sets us on fire so that we can go and speak of him to the world. And when you think about all of that as one thing that God has done, you have to step back and say, whoa, who, who is this God? What is he like? And Trinity Sunday is a Sunday where we talk about that. And there's lots of ways to talk about the Trinity, the Church, the early church had to invent whole new vocabulary to talk about it and use philosophical language and theology to even get a hint of what it is. And you could even say that the way that they came up with talking about the Trinity is the least worst way to describe it. The least worst way. We, when you say the creed, you're kind of just saying all the things that it's not because you can't really, really say what it is. 
And that's one way to talk about the Trinity. But the other way to talk about the Trinity is actually a very natural way, which is we know God is Trinity because that is how he has acted in history. That is how he has saved us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know God is Trinity because he acted in a Trinitarian way. The Father sending the Son into the world to redeem the world. The Son dying, rising, and ascending so that the Father and he might together pour out his Spirit on all flesh. That Holy Spirit as the bond, the bridge of love between the Father and the Son. God's actions in history reveal him to be a Trinitarian God. And that's what the early church grappled with. Even as early as Peter's sermon on Pentecost, there's those hints of, actually, this Jesus, this, he's the Lord. That's not just some title. That's him saying, Jesus is Yahweh. He's the God of the Old Testament. Even as early as Acts chapter 2, they're grappling with something has happened. We're good Jews. We've spent every day of our lives making the confession, our creed of Israel, which is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And yet, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he has accomplished what we say is accomplished, he must be God. And the same with the Spirit. He must be God too. And the early centuries of the church, they wrestled with that, grappled with it, gave us language for that. Of course, God has existed as Trinity from eternity past. He doesn't come to be the Trinity by his way of redemption through the way he acts in salvation, but we come to know him as Trinity because of that. So again, Trinity Sunday is when we stand back and see all that God has done and we see him as he is God in three persons. And that's one reason why Isaiah 6 is a reading for Trinity Sunday. It may not be an obvious reading, uh, but no Old Testament passage on the face of it would be an obvious reading for Trinity Sunday. But there, there are hints, there are pictures in it. And Isaiah has the experience in a way that we've had the experience where he gets to see God as he is and something happens to him. So if you have your bullets and turn to page two, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. I love, I love this passage. I've always loved this passage. It's, you may have this just in your own experience of Christian life, just texts that are sort of centers of gravity for you where you just go back to them again and again and they're always life-giving. And this is a text that God has pulled me back to again and again over the course of my Christian life and used in profound ways to speak to me for me to encounter him. It was actually the Old Testament reading at my ordination to the priesthood. Um, I thought that was the case and I found the bulletin and it actually was the case. And I intentionally chose that one among the menu of options because it had been such an important passage to me personally. And this is one of those passages that it's short eight verses, but there's so much in it and you could spend a life meditating on it. What, what is it that Isaiah experienced? But you look at verse one and it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. The first part of the sentence sounds like a historical text. <laughs> like, hey, there was this king and he died. And then this other thing happened where I saw God on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah lived in, in this time in Israel where there was a slow disintegration of, of the people of Israel. Their nation was going down and Isaiah, we know, is a prophet who was sent to the people to, to try to turn them around and it doesn't really work out. One king died, but he sees a king who never dies. And that's part of the point is that God is giving him a vision of an unchanging reality 
to help him in the midst of a changing reality. And we see these seraphim flying around with six wings and they're singing, they're calling to each other and they're singing this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That song, we, we sang echoes of that song throughout our time of singing and worship. It's the song of heaven. It's the song that's being sung even now. It's the song that we sing every week as part of our communion liturgy. We say, we join our voices with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven, and we sing this song. It's a reminder to us as we worship God that that's who he is, that he is holy, that he is set apart. Holiness speaks to God's godness. It's another one of those things where we say we can't describe it in its fullness, what God's holiness means. To say that God is holy is to say that God is God. It speaks to his beauty, it speaks to his glory, it speaks to his majesty. And what Isaiah experiences in this moment is the encounter of a human with a holy God. And something has to shift. Somebody has to blink and it's not gonna be the unchanging God. It's not gonna be the holy, holy, holy God enthroned in majesty, his train of the robe filling the temple, the whole place shaking, filling with spoke. It's gonna be the creature, the one that God made. And we see Isaiah come apart and he sees these seraphim, these uh, ones that mean, it means something like burning ones. The seraphim are those who are on fire. They're darting around like flames singing this song and they burn with their praise of the Lord. And in a moment after this encounter starts, they will bring that ministry of fire to Isaiah's mouth. So we sing that song, holy, holy, holy. And one of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount, that great line, teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Teach me to sing what the burning ones sing. That's what Come Thou Found is saying. It's referring to this passage. Teach me to sing the song of the seraph. Teach me to sing the song of heaven. Teach me to be in line with the reality that is no matter what's going on here, teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. And that's what's gonna happen for Isaiah. But before he can learn that song, something else has to happen. He has to come to terms with what it is that he is singing, seeing. Isaiah will go on to write some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. He has some have described him as God's Shakespeare. He's one of the most eloquent writers that we have in the whole of the Old Testament. He begins to sing this sonnet of flame and fire, but something has to happen first. He has to be disassembled and reassembled. He has to be disintegrated, he has to be reintegrated. He has to be taken apart so that he can be put back together again, because that is what it is to encounter holiness. It is to be realigned with who God is. To be realigned in that way is, an, is another way of describing what we call confession. Confession is coming into alignment with this is who God is, this is who I am. They do not match up. I must confess, I must be realigned. And Isaiah begins his confession and says, woe is me. He calls down a kind of curse upon himself. I'm a cursed one. I'm an undone one. This translation says, for I am lost, gets translated in different ways. Some translations have, I am undone. The Hebrew word that's under there 
comes from a root for to be silent, and it's used of the silence following disaster or death. A disaster has come upon him, a kind of death has come upon him, and he has fallen silent. It reminds me of these verses from Habakkuk that say, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence. What do we say in the presence of this God? And then Isaiah goes on to declare that he is a man of unclean lips and he dwells among a people of unclean lips. And the reason that he realizes this, he says, is because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He's seen God and in seeing God, something in him is called out for what it is, the thing that's not aligned with who God is. And notice that Isaiah, he's in the temple. He's worshiping God. He's declaring his uncleanness in the one place on the planet that you can't be unclean, right? In, in the holy temple of God, he's declaring, I can't be here. I shouldn't be here. I am done for. I am disintegrated. I am disassembled. You've taken me apart. So when we see God as he truly is, our first response, Isaiah is teaching us, is a kind of reassessment of ourselves. We have to come to terms with who we are in light of who God is. When God is revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the Father who in his love for the world, as we read, so loved the world that he gave his best, the thing that he loved the most, he gave to the world, his son. We have to reassess ourselves in light of that. The son sitting at the right hand of the father, they give of themselves to the world. We have to reassess ourselves in light of that. Maybe you're in a period in your life or have been in a period of your life where you found yourself sort of disintegrated. (laughs) Things are coming apart. And that's a moment where you have the opportunity to become, in a good way, completely and utterly disillusioned of yourself. That's a gift. It's, if it's done in the presence of a holy and merciful God, it's a gift to come to terms with who we are, to become disillusioned of ourselves, to say, I'm a man, I am a woman of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. It may not feel like it in your disillusionment, but it is God in his grace allowing you to be disintegrated, to be taken apart so that he can put you back together again, so that he can reintegrate you, put you back together in the way that you were intended to be. That's the process that we call here at St. Bartholomew's becoming fully human. Had to get that one in there, so there it is. And notice that the passage ends with, here I am, send me. Isaiah can never get to that moment of mission, that moment of calling until he goes through the moment of woe is me. There's a process that has to take place. And when he says woe is me, when we come to that moment of saying woe is me, it's not about narcissistic navel gazing. It's a realization in the light of the beauty of God that we are ugly compared to him. In the light of his holiness that we need to be cleansed. And it's not cruel and it's not sadistic but it is a severe mercy because it didn't feel good for Isaiah in that moment. It doesn't feel good to us to be taken apart in order to be put back together. There's a moment in C.S. Lewis's novel, Till We Have Faces, that reminds me of this passage. That's a novel um, where in the first person through the eyes of a, a certain sister, Lewis retells the story of Psyche and Cupid 
And in that story, the Psyche character is offered up as a sacrifice to what they think is this horrible mountain god. And the sister is so despairing of that that she goes to find her sister and then she convinces her sister to do something that she shouldn't do. You should just read it. But there's a moment where the god of the mountain is revealed as he truly is. And both Psyche and her sister see him. And something happens to both of them. Psyche being the most beautiful creature that she's ever seen. And she comes to see her sister as something wholly different in light of the beauty of this God. And I'm just gonna read this paragraph to you. The air was growing brighter and brighter about us as if something had set it on fire. Each breath I drew let into me new terror, joy, overpowering sweetness. I was pierced through and through with arrows. I was being unmade. I was no one. But that's little to say. Rather, Psyche herself was in a manner, no one. I loved her as I would once have thought it impossible to love, would have died any death for her. And yet it was not, not now, she that really counted. Or if she counted and oh, gloriously she did, it was for another's sake. The earth and stars and sun, all that was or will be existed for his sake. And he was coming the most dreadful, the most beautiful, the only dread and beauty there is was coming. The pillars on the far side of the pool flushed with his approach. I cast down my eyes. I can't help but think that Lewis had Isaiah chapter six in mind when he was writing this passage. I was being unmade, she says. The thing that I loved the most in the world, my sister, the thing, the person that I thought most beautiful in the world was not the most important thing in the world. If she had any worth at all, it was in light of what I was seeing. It was dreadful, it was beautiful, and he was coming. That's the experience that Isaiah had, truly, in the presence of God. It's the experience that God calls us to on a certain level. And it doesn't always have to be those grand moments We can be undone in small ways. (laughs) Life can undo us in small ways. And I find myself praying sometimes small little prayers that are something like, woe is me. My version of that is like, God, I can't. God, I'm, I'm not enough. I don't know what to do. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I need your help. Those small prayers, those small moments are moments of disillusionment where we come disillusioned with ourselves and realize that we need God. Those are prayers where I confess my own undoing, my prayers where I'm confessing my own need to be realigned with who God is in light of his holiness, in light of his beauty. And I imagine that if you've walked with God for any amount of time, you've had moments like that too. Or maybe you've had more of an Isaiah 6 moment. But we have to be undone. We have to be undone first. But God doesn't leave Isaiah there and he doesn't leave us there either. He cleanses us, though it may feel like searing. (laughs) Because that's what happens next. The angel, the seraph comes, the burning coal, and he touches Isaiah's lips. Touched his mouth, the very place that he confessed his uncleanness. God brings his healing. 
having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That burning coal would have come from the very altar where they did burnt offerings. The, the whole idea of sacrifice, the whole idea of this has been paid for, the whole idea that this has been taken care of, that God has taken it upon himself. So we have a picture of what he will do for us in Christ. Isaiah experiences that, and we have to experience that too. The first lesson is that we have to be undone, but the second lesson is he doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us in our undoneness. He comes and he begins to push us back, put us back together to cleanse us. And then after he cleanses us, he calls us. Because the next thing that is said, surprisingly, in verse eight, is I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Isaiah has been undone, he's been remade, and now he's called to go forward in mission. The nature of God as Trinity is his nature as one on mission. That's what John 3.16 is all about. That most famous of verses, God so loved that he gave, that he sent his son. And it's true of his gift to the Holy Spirit to us. God and the Father, God the Father and God the Son so loved that they gave their very self, their very life to live in us, to set us on fire, to cleanse us. When Isaiah's mouth is cleansed with that fire, he has his own kind of Pentecost moment where his tongue becomes a tongue of flame, like the tongues of flame that were above the disciples on Pentecost that turned into tongues of flame so that the glory and the beauty of God could be proclaimed to all the nations. That's what the Pentecost moment is for us so that we can be set on fire to go, to be on mission. And that's what Isaiah says. He goes from woe is me to here I am, send me. From woe is me to send me in just a few short verses because he's been undone, he's been cleansed and remade and now he's been called and sent out. So we encounter God as he moves towards us in mission and it's in a Trinitarian movement. God sending the son, God pouring out his spirit upon us. And what I wanna to say to you is that it may be hard to believe, but we've actually seen something better than Isaiah. As amazing as this vision is of Isaiah, as incredible as this experience is, we have seen more than him. See, this, that, this passage only has hints of the Trinity. The threefold holy, 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 holy is a hint of the Trinity. The who will go for us is a hint of the Trinity. But Isaiah didn't see God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have seen more. We've seen God the Father send his only begotten Son into the world to die for the world, to save the world, to be raised for the world, to be seated at the right hand of the Father for the sake of the world so that he might pour out his Holy Spirit upon us. We have seen God send his Son into the world so that the Son might be seared by the burning coal so that we don't have to, so that we might be cleansed in another way. Our eyes have seen the King. That's Isaiah's declaration, my eyes have seen the king, but our eyes have seen the king in the face of Christ. In the human face of God, we have seen the face of Christ. We have seen the king. We've all been cleansed by the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. 
we've been moved from woe to blessing. So we, I would say, have seen something greater than Isaiah. And that is what Trinity Sunday is all about. From a literary point of view, as I said, Isaiah is the prophet of prophets. He had more insight, I would say, into the coming Christ than most of the Old Testament writers. Think of Isaiah 53. He knew that whoever this was that was coming on behalf of Israel would be a suffering servant. And yet we have seen more. We have seen more and so we know that the thrice holy name is the name of the Trinity. And more than that, that's the name into which we've been baptized. Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think of our worship, it's saturated in the Trinity. We began our worship today with blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every time we pray a collect, it's in praying to God the Father through the work of Jesus' Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. We come together as Trinitarian people, baptized in that Trinitarian name, identified with that name. So we have seen more, and now we know that that trice holy name is the name of the Trinity. And we know that when God asked who will go for us, he was asking as the Trinity. And as the Trinity, he asks us, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he asks us, who will go for me? So the question for us is where are we in the sequence? Are we in the moment where we're coming face to face with God? And I would say in the Christian life, there's a cycle sometimes because we need those moments of realignment where we have to come to terms once again and again and again with who God is and who we are. And that moment of cleansing, that moment of confession, and then that moment of calling and sending. So the question for us is where, where do we find ourselves as individuals? As a group, we're in that moment of here we are, send us. Because we're in this process of becoming St. Bartholomew's. We're in this process of being planted in East Dallas. And we've seen God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pour out his spirit upon us, bless us, heal us, call us together, make us a community. So as a people, we're in that moment where we say, here we are, send us. But you may be in a different place as an individual. So I just wanna close with some prayer and give you an opportunity to respond and meditate. So let's pray together. Holy, holy, holy God. We thank you that it's true that we've seen something greater than Isaiah saw because we've seen what you've done with your son and how you filled us with your spirit. I pray that even now that to each of our hearts, you would just impress upon us where we are. Are we in a moment of disintegration? If we are, Lord, we pray that you would begin to put us back together. If maybe we're in a moment of cleansing of that searing pain of of having something unclean taken from us. If that's where we are, Lord, we pray that you would bring your healing power to us. And if we're in that moment of commissioning, of calling, Lord, we pray that we would clearly hear where it is you're calling us and where it is you're sending us. We praise you, we love you. Help us to see everything that we are, everything that we do, 
everything that is in light of your Trinitarian nature, of your love for us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to see everything in light of that. And we ask this in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.